we on here? There we go. Well, uh, as Brother Frank mentioned, I am not Brother Johnny. But I hope that you guys hear from the Lord anyway this morning. I'm excited to have the opportunity to get to not only sing, but to speak to you. Um, for those of you that are guests here, um, my name is Brother Donnie. Uh, I lead the worship here. I've had the opportunity and the privilege to do that for the last decade. And um, Brother Johnny is in Canada, and so he asked me to fill in for him this morning. And uh, anytime I get the chance to, to present God's Word, it's a blessing and, a, and an honor and a privilege. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, it's particularly cool this morning because I think that, um, that God has ordained this. When Brother Johnny asked me to, to speak, he had no idea what I was planning on speaking on. I had no idea what he had planned for next week, but he's actually scheduled um, the Obedience to Death ministry to, uh, to come next week. That's the presentation that he does with his duck dogs, and he uses them to teach about... Caleb, can you check this? I'm kind of buzzing a little bit. Um, he uses that to, to teach about obedience to Christ through the obedience of his dogs. And so um, if you had an opportunity to, to look at the bulletin this morning, you saw that the title for our message today is The Power of Obedience. And so I fully believe that God um, is going to use today to prepare our hearts for next week as we talk back-to-back weeks on, on obedience. And so really excited. Um, as I was thinking about the power of obedience and how I could introduce that this morning, I really wanted to come up with a cool picture and, uh, and use that as like a dynamic way to, to kind of look and say, yes, that's, that's a perfect example of obedience. And I, I have a picture. I'm going to ask the sound room to put that up if they could. Okay. So, for those of you that are guests and don't know, that's me with our youngest daughter, Adeline. And uh, as you can see, Adeline is very cute. And uh, she's very sweet. She likes to cuddle. Um, she can be a really cool... Um, She's always a really cool kid. What she is not, however, is obedient. If you look up obedience in the dictionary, this is not the picture that you're going to find. As a matter of fact, most days, I would say that Addie is the antithesis of what obedience is. And so um, I thought about using my wife's picture and thought, "Mm, that might not be a good idea, so I decided not to. So don't tell her I said that. She's got nursery this morning, so she won't hear any of that. But, uh... (laughs) Don't think that, right. So anyway, um, obedience. It's all throughout the Bible, and I could have chosen um, dozens, literally dozens of scriptures to illustrate um, the power of obedience and how God's called us to that, but I've chosen three in particular, um, three that mean something to me personally, and I want to relate those to you this morning. We're going to look at two sets of scriptures from the Old Testament. We're going to look at one from the New Testament, and if you guys have heard me speak before, you know that I enjoy contrast the New and Old Testament because I think it shows the consistency of God in our lives, the consistency of his message. Our God never changes. And so as you look for principles in the Bible, you're going to find consistency old and new. And so um, before we jump into that this morning, I just want to just join together in prayer and just ask God to open our hearts. So if you guys would bow with me. Father, we are so thankful for who you are. And before we dive into your word, Father, we just want to acknowledge you. Father, you are master and creator and sustainer. And that this is all for you and about you. 
And Father, right now in the stillness of this moment, I pray that you would peel away the layers of indifferent, indifference and complacency and expectation and distraction and all those things that we've built up around our heart and that you'd allow us to hear from you clearly. Father, you promised us that you'd be here when we gather in your name. Father, we are here. We know that you're here as well. And so I just pray that you would speak. I pray that you would help us to hear. We just ask that you be with us. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to look first at um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you guys want to turn there in your Bibles, um, I'm going to give you a little warning. I'm going to, this is a story, you're going to be familiar with all these stories, this first one in particular you'll be super familiar with, but I'm going to read it backwards. And I'm not doing that to confuse you, just stay with me, it's going to make sense, I hope. We're going to read the climax of that story, then we're going to go back and read the middle of the story, then we're going to go back and we're going to read the beginning. And because I think that best illustrates the obedience of David in this situation. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, if you've got that translation, it'll match. If not, it'll be close. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, we're going to read verses 45 through 54. If you found it, say, I've got it. All right, here we go, 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. And after he had killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. They're dead were strewn along the Sharm road to Gath and to Ekron, and the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head, and he brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. So let's just stop here for a moment. Um, this is the part of the story that everybody's super familiar with, right? Little David goes up against mighty Goliath, and against all odds, he comes out victorious. Um, this was no fairy tale. This was no bedtime story. We need to keep in mind that this was one of the pivotal events in the history of the nation of Israel. And it was also um, one of the defining moments of David's military career and what, to a large extent, went to solidify his legacy in the minds of the people. So this was a, a major, major event. I want you guys to consider today that had it not been for David's humble obedience, this event never happens. And I'm going to tell you why. We're going to go back and we're going to read the scripture and kind of get more of the story on this situation. So if you, while you're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to double backwards 
And we're going to pick up at verse 17. I mean, we're going to pick up at verse 12 and read through verse 20. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 again, verses 12 through 20. Now David was the son of an Ephratite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward, and every morning and every evening he took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd, loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed. So as we see from here, David was tending sheep, and his father sent him on an errand. Had he not agreed to go on the errand for his dad, he never would have been in a, a position to even see Goliath, to know what was going on, to be at the battle, and to have the opportunity to kill the giant. It was all because he was obedient to his father's command to run an errand for him. Now, what makes this interesting? I mean, all of us have parents, and you know we're expected to obey our, our mothers and fathers, right? Why is it so extraordinary that David would not be offended to, to take on an errand from his dad? Well, to find that out, we're going to go back in Scripture a little bit farther. We're going to be in chapter 16. And before we do that, <clears throat> let me just give you a little background because we're going to introduce a couple of new characters here. Um, at the time, Saul is the king of Israel. And what you need to know about Saul, <clears throat> excuse me, Saul is not only the king of Israel, he's the first king of Israel. Um, they had asked for a king. All the other kingdoms had a king. They wanted a king to be like everybody else. God told them, you have me, you don't really need a king. And they said, yeah, but we kind of want one anyway. So God said, fine, I'll give you Saul. Okay? You're also going to read about Samuel, who was the prophet at the time. And Samuel, being the prophet, was revered and kind of feared at the same time because he was literally the voice of God. And so what he said came directly from the Lord, and so people had some, you know, trepidation about that from time to time. So, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to read verses 1 through 13 here. You guys with me? Okay. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked, Do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Then Jesse called Abinadab, and he had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then had Shammah pass by. And Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had the seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and Samuel went to Ramah. So here's why David's obedience is so extraordinary. Because, let's face it, ordinarily your dad asking you to run an errand is not a big deal. What we have to keep in mind here is David was not just an ordinary man. At this point, David had already been anointed as the future king of Israel. David was the king. And yet we find him tending sheep, running errands for his dad. And I just wonder if sometimes in our own lives, if we don't do some of the things that God's called us to do because we feel like we're overqualified or we're too good for that or those type of situations, when we can look at David's example and we see a guy that, that had every right to be picking out robes and crowns, and instead he wasn't too big or too good to run an errand for his dad. And because he did that, and keep in mind, David had no idea he was living out for the book of 1 Samuel. It was some random Tuesday for David. He was just doing what he was supposed to be doing. But because he was obedient, and because he was humble, God put him in a situation to see the giant, call him out, and take care of it. We're going to move over now to a book, um, in the, also in the Old Testament, of the book of Jonah. So if you guys want to flip over that direction, it's a little later. Um, it's one of the books of the prophets in the Old Testament. There are 15 of those books. Um, three of those are considered, quote-unquote, major prophets. The other 12 are considered minor prophets. Jonah is one of the minor prophets. Um, the majors are Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. And uh, don't worry, the reason that it's Jonah's called a minor prophet, had nothing to do with his power or his anointing by God. It's just simply that the minor prophets wrote shorter books, the major prophets wrote longer books. And so, um, fear not, there's some good teaching here. Um, we're going to be in Jonah. We're going to read chapter some in chapter 1 and some in chapter 3. As a side note, if you guys get time afterwards, I'd encourage you to read chapter 2. It's really beautiful. It's Jonah's prayer to God. It almost reads like a poem and there's some cool stuff in there, so if you get an opportunity, I would uh, encourage you to do that. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. for. Um, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. You guys still with me? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittal. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard the ship and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call upon your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, 
Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do with you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. We're going to jump over to chapter 3 and hit the conclusion here. Um, Verse 1 in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began going, sorry, Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose, to, rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the he issued to Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they had done, And how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So there are several things here that we need to take from from Jonah's story. And the first is that uh, Jonah was disobedient to start with. Jonah ran from God's calling on his life. And that disobedience brought disaster not only to Jonah, but also to the people around him. Um, There's a lesson in that. First off, you can't hide from God. And when we try, it often brings disaster into our life. And not only that, but it has a ripple effect, and it brings disaster to the people around us. Guys, we have to understand that no man is an island. Every single one of us has people that love us, that are connected to us, family, friends. And when we sin and when we were disobedient to God, that has impact not just on us, but to the people we love. So some of you may be thinking, that's great, Brother Donnie, but I'm not David. And I'm not Jonah. And you're right, you're not. I've heard people say over and over again the phrase, I'm just me. And I have to believe that to some degree that that expression is insulting to God. Because when we say, I'm just me, it seems to indicate that we're less of a person. That we we don't have worth. We're not as good as David, or we're not as good as Jonah, or we're not as good as whoever you want to compare compare yourself to in that situation. But what does it mean to be just me. Well, church, hear me this morning. You are a person with a purpose, created by Almighty God, made in His image, and redeemed by the blood of His Son. 
you have more value than you realize. And we can't insult God by discounting who we are in him. David didn't beat Goliath because he had better size or a better military strategy, certainly not because he had superior weaponry. David defeated the giant because he was obedient to God and because he had faith in God. And our friend Jonah, Jonah ran from God. He almost got his whole crew killed. He was vomited up by a fish, and he delivered what is probably one of the worst sermons in the history of the world. Right? Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Um, this morning, if I had stepped up here and had put on my mic and had said, hey, in 40 more days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed, and I dropped the mic and I walked out the door, I would not even make it to my truck before you guys were texting Brother Johnny, letting him know how bad the message was this morning. But we have to understand, this was not about Jonah's message. It was not about his eloquent speech or his skills or his ability. This was about Jonah being obedient to what God had called him to do. And as soon as Jonah was obedient, God did the rest. Nineveh was not just a big city. It was the biggest city on the planet at the time. Some guys estimate that it would take, it was 48 miles around, and it took three days to walk through the center of it. And yet, when Jonah brought the word that God had commanded him to, every single person in that city repented and turned to God. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. It's about your willingness, and it's about your obedience. But there's an elephant in the room this morning. And it's, there's one question left that we all have to, to ask ourselves because this is the one nobody wants to ask. And that question is, what do I do if I want to do what God's calling me to? Because that's when obedience is called into question, right? Flip over in your Bible to the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, which are the Gospels. We're going to be in chapter 26, and we're going to read just three verses. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 39. What if I don't want to do what God's calling me to do? If you're at Matthew 26, say amen. amen. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to him, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here with me and keep watch. And going a little farther, he fell on his face, with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Guys, listen to me. God absolutely wants us to serve him with a joyful heart. He wants us to trust him completely. He wants us to believe that what he wants for us is what's best for us, and he wants us to, to follow him without question. But understand, God knows that sometimes there's going to be things he calls us to that we're not going to want to do. Even Jesus prayed, my soul is troubled with sorrow to the point of death. The Bible tells us that he literally sweat blood. And he prayed, God, I don't want to do this. 
But then he finished that statement with, yet not my will but yours be done. I believe that the most profound moments in our lives, the most powerful moments in our lives, are those times we come to God and say, God, I don't want to do this. But not my will but yours be done. Because it's in that moment of surrender that we prove our love to God. God used David to bring down the giant. He didn't give him a machine gun. He didn't even give him a sword or a spear. He gave him the most ridiculous, absurd weapon imaginable. God told David, hey, I got this giant, and I need you to take care of it. But just so that everybody knows it's mine and not yours, I want you to carry the rock. And you know what? The rock was enough. Because faith paired with obedience always leads to victory in God's economy. Jonah delivered what is probably the worst sermon in history in the biggest city in the whole world at the time. And yet every single soul in the city turned to God. You know why? Because faith paired with obedience always leads to salvation in God's economy. Jesus said, God, I don't will yours be done. So that leaves us with two questions today. What is God calling you to do? And are you willing to be obedient? If you guys would bow Every single one in here this morning has things that, that God has called us to do, people that God has called us to be. Some of you in here, God called to join Live Oak Baptist Church, and you've been putting it off, and we don't know why. Some of you were tied up in addictions and you have been involved with. And God's calling you to surrender those things to Him. But for whatever reason, you've been disobedient. Some of you, God has called in the service, be it a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a nursery worker but you've made your excuses and you've had your reasons and you've said no. For some of you this morning, you've never even accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if something happened and you walked out that door and died of a heart attack this morning, you'd split hell wide open. But you've been putting off, putting your faith in Christ. You think you've got time. You think you'll do it later. You think when you're ready or when you've cleaned up your act or whatever your story is. Guys, listen to me. We're never stagnant. Every moment of our lives, we're either stepping towards God or we're stepping away from Him. 
you have the opportunity today to take a step towards him and be obedient. So I don't know what God's called you to do, but I'm going to pray for you right now.